Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Monday, we did a deep dive on the Patriots. Tuesday, a deep dive on the Celtics. Today, we get to our deep dive on the Red Sox, kind of where they go from here, what went wrong this year, and so much more. Doing that as he's joined us every Wednesday at this time throughout the season is Tom Karen of Nesson. TC, how are you? Doing okay, Brady. How are you doing? TC, before we start, I want to get to all things Red Sox. Um, I do want to um, pass along my condolences to you and the Nesson family on the loss of Tim Wakefield. Um, I thought you did a beautiful tribute on TV the other day, a nice three-and-a-half-minute piece or so, which was really good and encapsulated all things Wake. But uh, I know it's been a really tough week for you guys over there. Yeah, it has. Uh, and we found out, you know, while we were on the air with the pregame show Sunday uh, that he had passed away. And that, that was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. Uh, is to, you know, as you're processing and I'm sitting there with Jim Rice, who's also very close. Uh, and we had to sort of, you know, over 25 minutes of television uh, process that that he had passed away. Uh, 57 years old, far too young. Uh, you know, it all happened so quickly, so suddenly. He just found out a few weeks back uh, that he had the deal and, and, you know, uh, you just, your heart breaks, uh, his wife, Stacy, his children, Bree and, and Trevor, uh, are just, you know, uh, left without, uh, a, a guy who really epitomized everything you want, uh, a player to be, uh, you know, I, I, I was saying he, he harnessed the magic of baseball. He did it with his, his knuckleball. Uh, he did it in retirement with his ability to use uh, major league baseball and the Red Sox and the platform to help so many charities and thousands of lives. Uh, a special guy. We'll miss him terribly. You know, I said this on Monday when we talked about this. You know, my Red Sox fandom doesn't extend to Tim Wakefield's career, so I have probably a different view of everything than than people who were in it or people who were in New England at that time. But the best thing I can say about Tim Wakefield is really he was a cultural icon. And, you know, maybe he wasn't flashy, but I think back, if you're in the ages of, between the ages of 28 and 45, you wanted to play baseball in the backyard or play wiffle ball, and you wanted to imitate Ken Griffey Jr., Gary Sheffield, and Tim Wakefield. And yeah, I think that's he, one of the more incredible things. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, You know, he was the relatable superstar, I would call him, right? Pedro Martinez was the guy you circled every fifth day uh, in, in 2002 or 2003, and, and you were making sure you never missed a Pedro start. He was larger than life. But Tim Wakefield, you know, we all in the, in the back of our minds thought we could do what he did. And, and we couldn't. None of us had a chance of doing it. Nobody, and, and listen, nobody's really thrown, uh, and, and kudos to uh, George Kirby for throwing a knuckleball on his first pitch Sunday. That was a beautiful tribute. Uh, but, but, you know, we all went in the backyard and threw a, a wiffle ball and said, oh, man, I could do that. Well, <laughs> no, you couldn't. Nobody could. Uh, but he somehow managed to do it winning 200 games, making the best hitters in the game in the steroid era, making them look foolish. You know, a, a Jason Giambi type just uh, flailing away and, and A-Rod flailing away at that pitch. It was his starts were just so much fun. You know, a Pedro start might be special, uh, but a Wakefield start was fun. He, he got it. He threw it in games where in an era when games lasted four and a half hours, his games took two hours and 15 minutes. And, <laughs> and we just watched and laughed and had a great time whenever he started. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson with us here in the Brady Farkas show on DEV. No easy way to transition. We'll try to do so gracefully into the state of the team right now. TC playoffs started yesterday. Game twos are being played today. In your estimation, what's the number one reason why the Red Sox are not still playing? What went wrong? I 
I still think it's starting pitching first and foremost. Um, you know, in the end, the bullpen collapsed over September, but that was because of the, 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 the workload they were put in in July when they had three healthy starters and, and two openers every time through the rotation. And they actually managed, you know, had the best record in July. So they were getting through that because of the bullpen, but no bullpen is built to go five plus innings every single night. Uh, I think it was the fourth most innings of any bullpen in baseball this year. And so it starts there. You got to address the top of the rotation, not just depth, but the top of the rotation. You got, you know, I keep saying Brian Bayo is a really good young pitcher and he should be your number three next year because you should, and I know Chris Sale is going to be your opening day starter according to Alex Gore, but take him out of the equation. I want a new number one. I want a new number two. And then I want Bayo and then I want Sale. And then, I, I'm fine with Pavetta, and I want a new number six and a new number seven uh, who are in Worcester ready to go. So you need to address the top of the rotation. You need to address the depth of the rotation. First and foremost, they didn't make the playoffs because they didn't have enough starting pitching. A big swing and a miss uh, on Corey Kluber, who was your opening day starter last year. Uh, you know, you, you could have kept Evaldi. You could have kept Walker. There's a lot of ways you could have gone. You didn't, and you paid the price. What were some of the biggest surprises, positive or negative? What were some of the biggest surprises for the 2023 Sox? Well, we'll start negative because they're not in the playoffs. Uh, the defense, the, the, the shoddy defense, right? Uh, the worst uh, in, in the American League, certainly one of the worst in baseball uh, defensive teams. Uh, Kike Hernandez was a, a, an abject failure at shortstop defensively. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, they tried something that we were all skeptical of. I remember spring training saying they are weak up the middle. Uh, we didn't know what they would be up the middle. And the fact that they got better is largely because Jaron Duran came out of nowhere and solidified center field. And Connor Wong uh, developed way quicker than we ever thought behind the plate. And ultimately, Trevor Story came back and settled in uh, defensively. Uh, to me, the biggest surprises were Rafael Devers regressing defensively. Uh, did what we'd expect at the plate, but I, I thought he had improved over the last couple of years in his third base defense. It was a big step back this year. Uh, their, their struggles at shortstop were a problem. Uh, on the positive side, uh, Jaron Duran would be a big surprise for me because I, I did not think he was going to be able to step in and do what he did. Uh, Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen anchoring the back end of the, of the bullpen really did take one of the biggest weaknesses a year ago and turn it into a strength. And, and Tristan Casas, I thought coming into the season was going to be really good. And he was so bad at the plate in yeah. April and May yeah. uh, that one of the biggest surprises to me was his ability to turn it around. Listen, their offense went south in September because Tristan Casas was no longer in the lineup. He was the guy who was the, the center, uh, the tent pole uh, of that lineup and gave Devers a little bit of protection. Without him, they weren't the same. TC, when we talk about kind of how this team rebuilds the roster. I think a lot of fan bases and organizations are having this discussion. I know we're having it with my Mariners. How much of this is about money and spending money? Because, you know, you look around, and yes, Corey Seager and Simeon have now been great this year for for Texas, but Bogarts was eh, Carlos Correa was eh, Trevor Story has been eh. Like a lot of the big money guys, Javi Baez lately, haven't been very good. So everyone's just clamoring to spend more money. How do you kind of reconcile what's happened with big money guys versus what the Red Sox need? Well, it is interesting. Let's go to Texas because I think they're a great case study for the Red Sox. You know, uh, the, the guys they got two years ago, the offensive guys took a couple years to get going. But what they did, they, they won 68 games uh, a year ago is all they won. 
And and now they're back in the playoffs. And they did it because this offseason they went out and spent a lot of money on pitching. Yep. And and to your point, it's all about spending money. Well, there's nothing more expensive and there's nothing more risky in Major League Baseball than free agent pitching. Uh, and that is exact and, and it doesn't always work. And the Rangers are the example. DeGrom made six starts and and then was gone for the year. Uh Jacob Oder, uh, uh, uh Jake Odorizzi, who yep. they went out and traded for, never threw a pitch for the Rangers. But they didn't stop there, right? They added Ivaldi. They went out and got Jordan Montgomery at the deadline. They 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 continued. It's no surprise that Chris Young is a former pitcher and he's the general manager, right? And and he went out and and made moves uh, that that doubled down on pitching, understanding that if you went out and got six pitchers, four of them at best might make it through the year. And, and even Evaldi, right, had his, you know, month off uh, on the IL, but he pitches today in game two. So I think, I think what you're saying is true, but for the Red Sox, it's about pitching, and there's good free agent pitching available. Yamamoto is 25 years old. He's the prize, right? Somebody's going to spend a lot of money and get him. He's a, a Japanese pitcher, two no-hitters this year. We all have been following him, and, and I think the Red Sox need him. He would be the perfect start. And then you're going to have, you know, Montgomery's a free agent. Blake Snell's a free agent. Aaron Nola's a free agent. There are good pitchers available on the free agent market. But guess what? They're all going to cost you a ton, and they're all going to come with the usual, you know, you're holding your breath every time he throws a pitch. Uh, but you got to do it because they don't have the depth. They don't have the minor league pitching. They don't have anybody ready to step in and fill this out. So you got to follow the Texas lead. And just throw it all out there. Get high-end pitching, get middle-end pitching, get low-end pitching, and cross your fingers. Tom Karen, Red Sox Insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Sam Kennedy and Alex Cora had the end-of-year wrap-up press conference the other day, and Sam Kennedy addressed kind of the search for the next GM, chief baseball operations guy, et cetera. Says they're going to take their time on this. Imagine they want to have somebody in here within the next few weeks. What are you hearing about kind of who the candidates might be? What about our guy Craig Breslow, friend of the show? Well, yeah, his uh, his name was uh, kind of thrown out there, and he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." I I don't know that he's certainly I don't I don't know that he would be in the hunt for the executive uh, top spot, but maybe as a general manager number two. It's interesting because they're looking for two guys, or or men and women. They're looking for a GM, but above that, the chief baseball officer is what they call you know Heim Bloom, president of baseball operations, right? So. I, you know, I, I honestly, they've, to their credit, they've been very tight-lipped. I don't know. I, I know they will talk internally, and, and Eddie Romero Jr. is probably at the front of that list uh, of the internal candidates, been here a long time, and uh, is a guy who can kind of combine the modern analytics with traditional scouting. The names outside are, are the names everyone else has heard. Sam Fold, yep. uh, who's general manager of, of a New Hampshire guy, uh, you know, was kind of the the, the guy who, who bridged analytics with you know, as a former player with traditional scouting uh, for that group, Brandon Gomes, same thing uh, out in uh, out in with the Dodgers and, and the Dodgers are who everybody wants to be. Yep. Uh, again, another uh, New England connection guy who played the game and, and addresses analytics. I, you know, John Daniels is a name I haven't heard a lot, but I wouldn't oh, be wow. surprised. He's kind of hiding out there. I think he's like the number three guy in Tampa. You know, and was at one point the youngest general manager in the game when he was with Texas and did some really good things in Texas. Uh, I have not heard this from anybody on the Red Sox side, but I keep saying if Kim Ng, who's available, her contract's up in Miami, uh, if she wants it, I think you'd have to have a good long talk with her because I love 
what she has done in in Miami and and you know her experience in New York, I think really gives you you know that that blueprint of someone who can handle the big market and, and knows what goes into everything that that happens in Boston and New York. So, you know, there's no lack of there's no lack of candidates. Uh, they've asked permission, they said, but I don't know who they've asked permission for. And obviously, like in a case like Kim Ng, the, the Marlins are playing, so you can't talk to them till it's over. So I, I think the main thing is they're going to talk to a lot of people. And in the past, we've talked about this last couple of weeks. They haven't, right? They, they, they interviewed Bloom and hired him. They interviewed Dombrowski and hired him. They gave it to Charrington, basically, after grooming him. So, you know, basically, since since Mike Port handed it off to Theo Epstein, they haven't really gone through a big search. Uh, and I think this will be it because I think good organizations learn a lot about themselves in that process. They're asking candidates about their blind spots. What do you see that's wrong with the Red Sox from the outside? And if you listen to that, you can learn a lot. It's interesting. Alex Cora said the other day that what needs to change for the team is the coaching staff needs to be better. Is that true or is that just him taking accountability and we all sit up there and say, oh, we like a guy who blames himself and not blames other people? Uh, it's probably, you know, I see all of the above, right? I mean, it's probably both. Uh, I think there is some truth to it. And, and you know, we're wondering if they'd make any kind of announcement about the 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 coaching staff. Would anything change? And, and clearly nothing did. Uh, but then you, you, you know, you wonder, is that something they leave for the next uh, executive to come in and decide who stays, who goes? You know, the... The the, 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 the the hitting was good. The pitching was not good. The defense was awful. Uh, is that coaching or is it player and roster development? Probably both. Uh, but everybody's got to get better. I did like the fact that, you know, last year he talked about Verdugo as the guy. I got to, you know, it wasn't one guy this year. And that 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 leads to coaching. If it's, if it's a whole team that needs to improve. And I thought that was a good answer. DC, I'll probably get you out of here on this unless something else uh, something else comes to me here. But um, Alex Verdugo, you just mentioned him. Is he on this roster come spring training? Not if I'm in charge. Uh, and and that's not a knock on him. I, he's entering his final year of, of a contract. And I just think he's going to be tough to sign. And I don't, you know, I've been through this too much with, with bets, with Bogarts, and he's not at that level. But the whole you know, hovering contract discussion. I worry about what that would do in a really important year. And I, his value, you know, dropped over the second half of the year. There's no doubt about it, but I think he's got value. Really good defensive player and a guy can hit. Uh, I would, I would make him the centerpiece in a deal to get pitching. Because I don't know that you can get enough pitching on the, on the free agent market. I think you'd have to trade for pitching too. Uh, and, and, you know, like the Marlins are a team with pitching. So maybe you can pry a pitcher from them or, or somebody like that. Uh, so no, I think I think because he's still got value and because you still control him, but only for a year. I think he's the kind of guy you're going to have to move to get the pitching you need to get better next year. All right, this is my real last question. So we've all been talking about Otani, and it's always been assumed he'll stay on the West Coast, right? He's been linked to the Giants, the Dodgers, the Angels, Seattle, all the West Coast teams. Jeff Passan, now I've heard him not once but twice come out and say he thinks the Red Sox are really going to be in the mix. Why all of a sudden do we think the Red Sox will be in the mix for Otani? Just because somebody new is going to come in and have a blank checkbook and it's just a money thing? Or is there something that is out there lurking that Otani loves Boston and we haven't heard it yet? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First and foremost, the Red Sox as a brand need a spark. 
And there is not, you know, and, and now we're going back to the 20 year ago debate of, you know, feeding the monster. Are, are you, are you putting together a, a programming uh, department or are you putting together a baseball operations department? Uh, the Red Sox need a little bit of both, probably a lot of both. And there is not one player. Listen, I'm on the TV side. I want Otani. I'm not sure it's the smartest baseball move. It's probably not because you need pitching and he can't pitch, at least not for a year. But man, I, if I can slap Otani on every Nesson promo this winter, uh, <laughs> I got some people interested come spring. And I assume that'll go the same for season tickets and box rentals and advertising on the Green Monster and everything else. You want to jumpstart and reignite uh, uh, the passion of the fans? You want to change the narrative that you're not spending and you're not in on free agents? One guy does that faster than anyone else. I'd argue in, in just about in any sport. Uh, and that's Shohei Otani. And he's available and he's available once. Now, the other part of it is, you know, that you are trying to prove your, your spending again, right? And, and, you know, I go back to, I'm old enough to remember the Manny Ramirez signing. Dan Duquette bid against himself. And $160 million, which was an exorbitant fee at the time, there was no competition for it, but he knew I needed to go sign that one big free agent to make Boston a place players wanted to come. Johnny Damon followed. Guys started to follow. It became a destination for free agents. Right now, you're not. Right, You're not in on the big names. You go get Otani, all of a sudden, if I'm a free agent, I'm telling my agent, call the Red Sox. They're spending. Let's go. And that could open the floodgates to maybe make you a place that more players want to come. So, you know, he does everything except address your baseball needs because he's a designated hitter next year. And you probably got six guys who should be designated hitters next year. So if I'm a baseball operations guy, I'm not saying I need Otani, but if I'm Sam Kennedy, I might hire a guy saying, listen, first you're going to go get Otani. Then we'll talk about what you need to do for the baseball team. TC, you're the best. You've been with us all season. We're going to keep talking to you every week, but I'm going to have to slowly get my uh, hockey shoes back on here, my hockey yeah. skates back on to uh, talk a little swaying and everything like that. So we'll get in my Bruins mode maybe for next week. But uh, always good to chat baseball with you. Much appreciated to go on a little longer today uh, to kind of do a deep dive on the Sox. We appreciate it. We'll catch up in seven days. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it.